0: Welcome to our special Halloween episode of the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Davros, and with me here today is Festival Education Director Michael Barr. Uh, He's been at the festival for how long now, Michael? 16 years. 16 years uh, in various capacities, but mostly keeping us focused in our theater on the things, uh, on the why of the thing, as they say, the why of why these plays matter, how we can connect them to ourselves, to future generations. And today, for our special Halloween episode, we're going to talk about Dracula on stage, on film, uh, or screen rather, and on the page, as well as what, what oh, is what okay. is suspense and fear uh, for an audience? Whether it's on the stage, on the fi- on film, we're just gonna we're gonna talk. Scary. And why do we like to talk about that? Yeah. Why, why do we like to see that on stage? And
1: what obsesses us about yeah. that? You think?
0: Yes. So but, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, but but we're gonna break the rules here, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. This is gonna be a dialogue, right? For our special Halloween episode, we're going to treat this more of a, uh, a roundtable forum between Michael and myself. We've worked together for many years. We're both very passionate about great theater and great film and television, and we can't wait to talk to you about it. We hope it's as interesting for you as we know it will be for us. I hope we can get it all within <laughs> the time. We, yeah. uh We've had these
1: discussions. We've never done them live on air like this before, so we'll,
0: we'll have a good time. Uh, and I hope patrons uh, respond well. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. So let's talk. We're obviously closing in on the final week of uh, our production of Dracula at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, Uh, a script that is very theatrical, has lots of uh, sort of stage magic tricks in it. But it always – a play like this always begs the question on how far do you go from the attempt to serious, gory, bloody suspense all the way to sort of campy melodrama? And it's not a new problem, is it, for, uh, for a show like this?
1: no. Uh, in fact, uh, and, and we could start that way. Uh, vampires have been on stage for a long time, and it kind of fell within that kind of melodrama. Uh, there was an old melodrama called "The Vampire," P Y R E, um, and uh, I, I think uh, audiences all have always wanted that. And I think we as moderns wrestle with: should it be? Should we see everything on stage, or should we imagine everything on stage? Uh, what should we have with each other? Yeah, I- where does
0: the suspense – or what are we actually looking for? Is this, is it this connection to the supernatural and the unknown of the provincial past that even Harker on the stage or in the story talks about these Transylvanians are so terrified of this mysterious Dracula character and he just shrugs it off as provincial superstition. Right, Which, which I think – Which is getting – which we do more and more I think as a society. We sort of right. dismiss anything theoretically supernatural as – superstitions well and i i actually think that's what the that is why we
1: still read dracula today because it it really is the metaphysical versus the science and when you think about where uh we were just coming out of the victorian time uh we know everything industrial revolution we can solve everything england is
0: king of king or queen of the world quite literally correct
1: uh and now we've got this problem that we don't have all the answers in other words harker And also Seward. This is Dr. Seward. I'm a man of science, but I can't solve the lunatic problem. I don't know why this man is going mad. And it takes a man of both science and also of the cloth, we could say. I mean, Uh he's – comes Van Van Helsing, Helsing. who's who's bent out garlic, but doesn't tell
0: people why, which is, I think, one of the reasons why they lose. Part of it, I think, is he's – not, he, I mean, he acknowledges the supernatural, but he's still a scientist himself. Correct. Sort of trying to meld these two worlds in his own mind. And what's interesting is, you know, we. So, t- so you've read the book. Yes. I've read the book. Yes. Uh, did it. Was it scary oh, to yeah.
1: you? Oh, uh, yeah. Do you remember
0: sitting? I mean, oh, yeah. talk I, about your experience. So here. my
1: experience, uh, and I think, and we. Before we turn the mics on, we talked about. The difficulty of putting it on film, the difficulty of putting it on stage, because the experience I had, I was 13 years old, and I was there on my dad's shelf, Dracula. And I pulled it off, and I opened it up. And what's nice about it is you can start anywhere you want. You don't have to start from front to back, because it's written in epistles or captain's logs. And so you read through those things, and you can skip, and you can skip. uh, uh, And they're all different sides of the elephant, okay, what am I seeing? What am I seeing? What am I seeing? And you're able to see all of these different things. So um, I was
0: gripped as a 13-year-old. And also uh,
1: –
0: Gripped – but gripped versus scared because I was about the same age when I'd read it. Yeah. And I had images in my head of, uh, of the Bela Lugosi film from the 1930s wow. and the Hammer film Christopher Lee Dracula from the 1950s. So those were sort of images floating around my head, though I'd never seen the movies all the way through. But I don't remember being
1: scared of the book. So my question – I loved it. I, I still have so my old question. weather-worn copy. Did those images, and I think this is what we're talking about, did those
0: images get in the way, or did they help you? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I think for me, it's, it's a 50-50 split. Right. There was nothing scary for me about the images for the Bella Lugosi film. Right. And I don't know if your elementary school had them I think they're a little past your time, but there was a collection. Someone had taken all of the great monster movies of the 1930s and turned them into little 20-page hardbound books. Yes. And it was this cool, like, time lifestyle collection of the Wolfman and the Mummy and from the Boris Karloff. It's a way uh, of Bob getting us to read. So you could pick these up and read so through So, as those. a in elementary school, I had read all of those because I loved the old film Creature from the Blue Lagoon because I always talked about, like, like behind-the-scenes right. stuff too that – the diver from Blue Lagoon could hold his breath for two minutes. Right. It's like awesome. Right. So anyway, those were all in my head as the monster stories by the time I got around to reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. And they didn't scare me. But I walked in into my grandmother's house one day while she was watching Christopher Lee's <laughs> Dracula from 1955. Oh, yeah. Right as he was going in to bite. And it oh, was, yeah. I remember vividly where I was standing, what I was watching. It was absolutely terrifying, Wow. and I sort of sort of pushed tried to push those images out of my head because I was so scared. Yeah. And I wish that as a thirteen year old I had more to conjure up of that Dracula, right, than the sort of campy, which
1: I think, bleh which,
0: Dracula, of, you know, including the Count in my right from Sesame Street. Which theme. I think um, this is where
1: sometimes uh, a very scary film or an institution it becomes. Uh, Kind of a cartoon of itself, yeah, a little uh, caricature, yeah, a little caricature. So we do that. Uh, what scared me was the 1977 BBC American released um, Dracula with Louis Jourdan, oh. uh, which I saw on must uh, have been on a local KUD, you know, Channel Seven, Channel Eleven, public uh-huh, PBS type PBS, thing. yeah. Uh, and I had read before, but I had never seen it, and I just still remember the scene of. Uh, Van Helsing putting the host, the, the sacramental wafers, you know, laying them around to keep away these vixens, uh, so that they can up. We don't see that in modern film. It, it's too easy to bang bang shoot them up. Um, I got my gun with, with silver bullets in it, and it, you know, it's the blade action. Yeah. Know, type of stuff. Or Van and,
0: Helsing, or Underworld, or right
1: where I'd, We don't know the answers. Um, in, in other words, what's nice about the book. And an audience that has never seen this, I had family that had never seen uh, they didn't know the Dracula Legend, so they were watching our show and they were gripped because they didn't they didn't know Renfield they didn't and a lot of I think our modern culture doesn't necessarily know or doesn't know any of those type of things and I think sometimes the, the less you know and there are not sure answers because Van Helsing is not sure if these things will work or not. Um, I actually think that's one of the advantages there I bring it up that Twilight has is because there's a kind of reinvention of the genre. Uh So what, what are these vampires rules? They can run up trees and they sparkle in the sun and he can stop, you know, cars and uh, he can live forever. So what are, what are the new rules? That's
0: part of what I think we like too, is knowing the rules of these supernatural characters and sort of bounding a sense of order. But coming, so coming all the way back, you were gripped by the book. You were maybe held in suspense, but you weren't scared until you saw it on screen. I, I was not
1: scared. I was fascinated. I, I was fascinated and wanted the answer. When all of a sudden the captain's log is over and we don't know how he got there, I wanted the answer, um, but didn't have all the answers. Was was I mean? You can't look away. We're going to chop the head off and fill her mouth with garlic. And you, you know that's <laughs> that's pretty gripping to a thirteen-year-old. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's not necessarily terrifying, but I wanted to know. But again, all the answers weren't provided. And I think that's part of the key to good theater is when when you don't necessarily know all those answers. So
0: for you, the book was an example of good, suspenseful theater. Absolutely. Because it left your imagination working.
1: Absolutely. Which is why, uh, again, I think I didn't discover Frankenstein until high school. Uh, I knew Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Frankenstein. And then I read Mary Shelley, and I went, why didn't anyone tell me about this? This is nothing like the movie <laughs> Boris monsters. Karloff's. I had this experience Neck in bolts. a book club. Exactly. Um, uh, you know, Abaddon Costello, Meet Frankenstein, Werewolf, all the time, which is all fun in a, in a different way. I was doing a book club the other day, and there was uh, a woman who was on the book club, uh, educated. Uh, she had never read Bram Stoker's Dracula, and she was expecting a corny experience. And she said, This is not corny at all. This deals with Victorian. Sexual suppression, this deals with – we actually got into a great discussion about the fear of immigration because in comes Dracula and he's moving in to eat here. It's decline of empire because uh, that's – I mean we can talk about how great England is. But the empire is declining, and it's going to decline even more after that. And I think the play talks about that too. And what causes empire to decline? Am I getting too deep? No, I think that's. Uh, I mean, all of that is there. So jumping back to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, when I read that, I said, "Why didn't I ever know about this?" And again, the power of the imagination, the power of text. So, so as an educator, does film help us get into literature? Does literature help us get into film? And how do we explore who we are as human beings?
0: Well, I think it's a great segue talking about sort of the next part of this conversation with our Halloween shows is Halloween is a time for what I sometimes like to call safe scarediness. We love to bound ourselves whether we're going to a spook alley or we're watching scary movies with our friends. There's this time to sort of awaken a fear in ourselves culturally and collectively. Or become things – we're not. I, I don't Become know things you're... we're scared of so we're not scared right. of them or that... become things we're – but either way, I think that we like this idea of being scared as long as we're safe. Right. And it begs the question now whether we're talking about a great scary book or a suspenseful book or a great film or theater. What makes a great film or piece of theater or book like that actually suspenseful and scary? Because we all have – I think you have examples in your head, and I hope our listeners are thinking through. I saw this, and it was terrifying, and this when it wasn't. What, for you, Michael Barr, makes a great piece of suspense, and what's a good example?
1: Um, Well, I'm going to go straight to the stage, Um, although sometimes the stage does not always deliver with the scare. I mean, wait until dark, done well. Completely black when you're in the same darkness there, and I think most people think about waiting until dark the film, yeah with, because it, it had Audrey Hepburn it was, in it, and
0: it was an iconic film, right but it was a play first.: Oh, yes, it was a
1: play first, Frederick Frederick Knott. yep, and uh, he uh, it was a play first, terrifying on stage, small space uh, when at the end, when they turn the lights out, I mean on film, you're never even completely out in the dark there. you just see her you become her. Or rather, him. You become rote in that place. And I remember when those lights go out, I've directed it about three times. And it, it always delivers. The audiences, I mean, they're screaming. They're there. They're in exactly the same place she is. So I think when you can suspend your disbelief and allow yourself to become a part of that, again, simple is never easy. And so what does it
0: take for you for you to dispense, suspend your disbelief on the stage? It's still about imagination. Correct. Correct. It, for me, I, I was in a production of uh, Wait Until Dark, and it was – the, the thing that I remember most is we wanted to make it pitch black in the theater, but for Fire Code, we had to keep the oh. the, the green lights no. of the exit signs no. on, and they were right up near the front of the stage. And I still think it provided a level of Same eeriness, theme. but – What are they thinking? <laughs> it's like a waiting – for Guffman. I lit yeah. pieces of paper and sent them through the ventilators. They shut me down. I don't know why. Uh, I wanted people to feel the heat. Uh but that, that that there needed to be things you didn't see on the stage. Yeah.
1: You had to be in the darkness, too. I think that's why that London woman in black that you hear about uh, frequently, that we know our person who's sitting right here beside us, that you can't see the amazing Holly, who says the most terrifying sh- thing she's seen is, is that woman in black. And there just has to be, I don't know what's out there, and I don't know all the answers. And that's frequently... Um, I think we can go to Shakespeare on this too. Yeah, um, Shakespeare. Shakespeare's theater was in the Las Vegas of 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 England. I mean, it was across the river. What goes on there stays over there. The other side of London. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, there was bedlam. The crazy people were, were hanging around out there. They'd seen what crazy people look like. There were beheadings that were happening. I mean, they were used to gore, and he had that in in his theaters. I mean, there were. I would assume that. He had those type of things going on. But there also came a time in the broad daylight when he was describing things through the theater of the mind. And you had to imagine what he was describing. And you had to go, yep. And I don't think we can watch plays the same way. It's very difficult. We're such a visual culture now.
0: Well, so so much of that, I think, is our experience with film. That we – the magic of film is that it can show us all those things that we can't see through special effects and camera and lighting effects, we can see and experience things in a, in a film. And I'm hearing you say, and I think I agree with you, that we culturally have expect more visually, right. but you personally still occasionally love to, as Shakespeare said, let your imaginary forces work. Yes. For tis your mind must deck our vampires. Yes, we, we
1: have lost we have lost the wonder in the sense of visual effects. And so when when – when I am surprised by a production, and I'm going to celebrate, uh, you know, Chris Clark, you know Chris.
0: Yeah. Um, Directed our uh, touring production of Macbeth. Yep. Which uh, was a few years ago. Com- which we'll talk about in a minute.
1: Yeah, which was c- quite compelling uh, because of uh, its stripped away nature. He did a Nosferatu uh, based on the film, uh, which was stolen from Bram Stoker, which Bram Stoker's wife really wanted. That was in the wild and woolly West of film, where they, there were no. There were not as many copyright laws to protect So you could
0: change – so the, the the writers of Nosferatu took the idea – took the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula, changed just enough that they didn't have to say it was based on or part of the Dracula that Bram Stoker created and released a film Correct. that owed no money to Bram Stoker's estate at Correct. all. Correct,
1: uh, which made them quite frustrated. Yes, I imagine. Well, and then later uh, there was a play version of Dracula, which Bela Lugosi starred in, and then in 1931 – he was in the film, which is interesting. The film, Dracula, stole things from Nosferatu's uh, in regards to plot. Uh, some of the plot things, the Renfield device and all that, that type of stuff, is very, it's very Harker-esque, but uh, it, does not, it, does, it is not as faithful and true to the, the
0: original. So why plot. has that movie, more than any other, I, th- I think. Are you talking Nosferatu? Or uh, you no, talking uh, the, Bram Sto- the, the Bela Lugosi Dracula. Yeah. Why has that yeah. image of Dracula... Become sort of the pop culture definition of Dracula vampire: the aquiline nose, the widow's peak, the black red line the cape, up. the 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 metal. Or, you know what I mean? Like if you yeah. if you imagine or describe what the pop culture version of Dracula is, nine times out of ten, someone's going to describe that. Bela Lugosi to his detriment. I mean, uh, that man. Uh,
1: Wikipedia that. Wikipedia, <laughs> Wikipedia his career because he he was uh, part of it was is he couldn't get rid of obviously his his Hungarian accent accent and that. But uh, later he played caricatures of that, you know, through himself. I mean, he he played that Dracula role over and over and over and over. So I think it's part of the pop culture thing. But uh, I think the question you ask is the answer. I think once you, once that film is so iconic, it becomes bigger than itself. It becomes the caricature. It becomes the cartoon. Because there have been other, it's just like the, um, Frankenstein motif. I mean, there were great modern...
0: Um, like Kenneth Branagh's oh, Robert, Robert De Niro. Uh, Kenneth Branagh directed Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with exactly Robert De Niro as the gone. monster. Yeah. yeah,
1: and that was actually a really, really great uh, show. You enjoyed the film? Um, <laughs> I, en- I, en- I enjoyed the art that they were trying to attempt in the film. I actually did, well, my, see, because think, it was
0: closer to the book. Well, uh, that's I, true, but I think to its detriment, it came out within a year, 18 months of Bram Stoker's Dracula, the remake yeah. by Francis Ford Coppola that starred Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, they did this, you know. This revived the genre somewhat, so let's do the same thing with Mary Shelley, and it didn't quite work. Yeah. I think, coming How old back to were you to when film, you saw that? I was probably, it came out in 93, 94. I didn't see it until, I was probably 16 or 17. Yeah. Uh, 97, 90, 96, 97. So, and it's funny, I remember thinking it was so cheesy, and so... And there were parts of it that I loved. Gary Oldman was terrifying. There was so much blood, which, when you read about, yeah. what was related to Francis Ford Coppola's statement on AIDS, yeah. makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is great. Keanu Reeves is, sorry listeners, terrible oh. in that film, uh, for me. But <laughs> why for the Matrix? He's just fine. He's just great. Yeah. <laughs> but as Jonathan Harker is, anyway. Yeah. For me, and this goes back to that fear question on stage, which is really funny. The you first know? time I watched it as a kid, as a teenager, even, I was scared. Even yeah. with all of the. The blood and the effects, as cheesy as I thought it was, yeah. I went back and watched it again just a few years Pretty ago. Pretty effective. But more than that, I didn't know until yeah. I read about it. And you can't you can't, you can't make a movie mean. like this and not yeah. know. But Francis Ford Coppola wanted to ma- use as many practical effects as he could. I think I talked about it in our conversation with Jesse earlier, that he wanted to use practical film effects, not just stage effects, but camera trickery to tell the story without using a lot of CG or other not things. CGI, and not CGI, which
1: I think we have the same challenge today with that.
0: I, we do, and especially when I look at my reaction as a 16-, 17, 17-year-old 17 kid who thought, oh, geez, why so cheesy?
1: Yeah.
0: And then watching it now, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Right. My biggest problems with the movie are that he changed so much of the story uh, to create a relationship between Mina and Dracula, not currently, but that she was the reincarnated version of right. his past love. Yeah. which is, I believe, unnecessary considering the greatness of Bram right. Stoker's book.
1: But you've got an interesting, an interesting thing, uh, thread that you're starting down here. Um, and I don't know if we want to diverge into – you, you want to talk about John Carpenter? Yeah. You want to talk about – John Beacon? Carpenter's Vampires? Uh, uh, well, not – Not the, the James Woods movie? Uh, no, no, no. John Car- – uh, I'm talking about The Thing. Oh, right. I, I'm talking about that because through the 80s, there was an interesting industry – Gore, if we can talk about an interesting um, industry where they would make the practical effects. Um, uh, Rick Baker, you know, and others, they would, Uh they would. And suddenly it became about the, what can I do with a camera to tell this story? Kind of uh, about the box and the limitations that Coppola was trying to put on himself. If I do these practically.
0: uh, um, And uh, sort of the uh, whole idea of puppets and blood and gore, all of it done through actual practical effects, and that—that's what horror movies became. Right, which is the use of which those is what things. I was raised with,
1: and I actually really enjoyed that genre. I'm not terrified from it. I wanted to see how did they do this? How do they make all the type of stuff? So you—that's so that's, then. Let's,
0: pausing for a moment, you didn't yeah. actually suspend your disbelief, no, because for you it was always theatrical. You always yes. saw. You never saw the woman being beheaded. You saw. Oh man! So they had to put her in a rig, and yeah, there's a puppet, and yeah, where do so they hide cool. the tubes for the blood? And yeah, yeah. it became a technical process, which,
1: for you. which in many ways, distanced me from the scare, but made me really enjoy this. And I don't know, but we're going to lose a whole bunch of our listeners, and I start talking about Friday the Thirteenth, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> and that that whole type of world. But I am no longer interested in that genre now, because that genre now is CGI. That genre now is it. it the magic is gone and I and this is not what we had planned on talking about no, but it's no. a very interesting um the I guess the art of the art of the film I find has changed I'm not going to say it's good bad but it is
0: changed it is not that same classic um well I horror. don't I don't think you're wrong and I don't think I don't think you're wrong looking at it sort of culturally because I see even the best example Have you of seen the new thing did you see uh, – uh, No, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. No. And it was – they
1: changed the plot. That's fine. And they did a lot of things. And there were some scary things in. But uh, I, I went, oh, CGI. See, and I, CGI. CGI. I was, I was a nervous
0: kid. And so horror movies were not – I didn't like to be actually scared, which is why I think those – You should have sat by me. I would have said they do it this way, this <laughs> way. Those books were – uh, so, fun for me as a kid because they were the cheesy right. monster movies and it was all about well, how they did what they did. Right. But I remember being partly because I was so scared by that Christopher Lee, I just wasn't interested <laughs> in horror movies, gory or otherwise, until I got older and could sort of put the distance between. Is- and now, but I want to, so coming all the way back, go around, ahead, go ahead. Uh, I don't think you're wrong about the art having lost a little bit because there's the sort of Super gory, Eli Roth-style horror movies uh, uh, that's, like, really? hostile. that Which I'm that, not interested but in. But they're yeah. doing their own thing for their own sake. I think great horror, great science fiction, great whatever you want, has recognized that the pendulum may need to swing back a little bit. Correct. Uh, Star Wars Episode Seven coming out in December, is a perfect example. J.J. Abrams, the director, among the rest of the team, made a very conscious decision early on to forego as much CG as possible and do as many practical live effects... As could be safely and which means he learned a lesson done. from
1: George Lucas, a la Jar Jar Binks, et cetera, where he said, "I can't connect with this because I don't know who or what this is." And and I think his
0: choice to do that, so uh, for go. you, effective horror, effective suspense—whether you call it horror, suspense, whatever—has it has or will have to learn the same lesson to bring the genre back to. What is just going to terrify you? Well, let me go with – Or you're gonna, you can't you're see. You're
1: going to ha- have to help me. Um, I just – I see the images in my head, but I can't um, – uh, it, it's the horror film in the woods with a shaky camera. Oh, Blair Witch um, Project. Yeah, Blair Witch Project. The reason why Blair Witch Project is effective is that you don't know where that camera is going. And you are you – are, so it's point of view, and, it's, and we're only getting the story from here. Um, and there were, there were experiments in the science fiction world in the same uh, area with the uh, uh, monster – uh, Cloverfield yeah Cloverfield yeah. yeah thank you this is why our conversations were so good you know exactly I'll take <laughs> you back right to the next one um, I speak Michael uh, and yeah, telling the whole perspective from the Super 8 uh, which was a great experiment and I think it actually uh, worked pretty yeah. well and I, I find that film does that same thing and if they can if they on the pendulum can swing back um, there was also a very effective uh, it's got the blue camera underneath the bed
0: the paranormal activity paranormal well, activity th- I'm glad you brought that up because the that's fourth a, one just came out yeah th- there that seer- That genre has persisted because it's not exceptionally gory right. there's some cool C.G effects in right. it, but it preys and relies on I think that right. theater of the mind. then you have to trace the trace that back
1: and you'll find blair uh, Blair Witch Project seeds in there because they only let you see it's it's simple it's Spielberg and the shark. I'm only going to show a little bit it's the, it's Ridley Scott alien. One of the scariest movies of all time because you don't know the rules, you don't know what's going to happen, and then the greatest action of all time, uh, Aliens Two, which yeah. is or, or Aliens, um, is uh, fabulous. And then they became parodies of themselves. So we're getting Predator together. I was thinking of this. I had a great discussion with my family about this. You got Predator meets you know Alien and. So that's no different than Abbott and Costello meet Wolfman.
0: It, it's it's, it's well, the, the same thing. That's those happening. two same from the came came from the same comic book world. But did you have you heard? Speaking of a sort of mashup that doesn't quite make sense. Right. You've have you seen the movie Twenty One Jump Street with Channing Tatum? Oh, yes, and, yes. And did you know that there is slated and planned a Twenty One Jump Street Men in Black crossover film? Really? Yes. Wow. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but they are crossing over mm, those thank two. You yeah. So, so the crossover, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is well, not dead. 21 Jump Street meets Bat- Men in Black coming in 2016 or 2017. I'm
1: sitting in my living room with my son and all of a sudden, oh, come, that's my phone. It tells you how busy I am. I'm sitting, in my, uh, sitting there in my living room and 21 Jump Street uh, watching old television and he goes, that was a series? I thought it was just a movie. And I went, <laughs> oh.
0: So we come full circle. Everything so, old is new again. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, coming back to this suspense idea and then we can wrap up because we've certainly gone over our normal 20-minute Before time. you do that, Go I ahead. think there's a perfect example that
1: will tie us and we will pop over here. Okay. Last night, I went to a community event um, it, uh, where they decided to show Adam and Costello meets Frankenstein. And so Bella Lugosi's there, they've got Lon Cheney Jr. there uh, play, playing the Wolfman. You know, they've got everybody. And it worked. There were young kids in the house, there were old, you know, the old. Uh, it's funny. Because you've got, you know, this great Avalon costello stuff going on. And then you've got these, you know, monsters running around. And I saw kids, you know, fright- it goes back to what you were talking about. They were, they were safe, but it was scary. And, and oh, he's coming here. Um, I want to go to a spook alley, but don't touch me. Right. Yeah. And in many ways is sometimes a, quote, more effective film than the original Dracula. Uh, because of some things that we learned about filmmaking by the sure. time. That was 48. That was filmed in 48 31. Yeah, the movies. Uh, so there's... there's Lots of to, wide shots, lots of theatrical style setups. Correct. That correct. Scripts, you know, cut and put together. But that whole, want to be safe, want to see it, but it becoming a caricature of itself instead of the, an, original, an original piece. And coming full circle, and then we'll go to your question. Um, when I say the art, you know, it's lost the art of it. We have to remember, why are we doing the art? What is it about the art? And somehow, I think the audience is an important member of art, who has to contribute something of their own to it. Does that make sense? Yes. So when I yes. read Bram Stoker's Dracula, he's, I'd like to, I wish I could talk to him about it. You know, why did you build it in sections? Uh, but I have, to, I have to make the bridge on my own. When Holly, sitting here nodding her head silently beside us, when she's a woman in black, she's got to fill in the blanks on her own. When we have to fill those blanks on our own, it invests us. Well, and we,
0: it, we fill them in with the things we're actually scared of, right. not the things that you're telling me I should be scared of. Which goes to my final question. Back to theater, back to Shakespeare. One of the best examples, I think, of a sort of show it or don't Shakespeare play is Macbeth. Mm-hmm. There's so much supernatural and terrifying elements. All of the things that I think we love about vampires, we, I love about Macbeth. Right. There's fear, there's sexuality, there's mysteriousness. There, it's all – there's supernatural otherworldliness. There's good man at stake here. There's, there's, there's yeah, good, man good at stake. versus evil, yeah. whether inside or outside, internal or external, doesn't matter. So the best – but but, lots of different productions have done it different ways, and I've seen effective both. Banquo comes on stage as, on a, as a ghost.
1: You're not going to ask me what I prefer. I'm going to yeah. ask
0: you what you prefer. So <laughs> Dra- uh, Macbeth, Dracula. Macbeth describes the dagger that he sees before him, and he describes it, and he sees it, and it's – is it a dagger of the mind, or is it there in front of him? Dagger or no? <laughs> um, I've directed it both
1: ways and they both worked and failed. That's a terrible (laughs) answer for me to give you. Uh, I I once had witches. So don't think of
0: like a director. What what do you watch it? Do you want to see how they will mechanically manage? Is it the the Michael Barr watching the 1980s horror movie? How will they mechanically accomplish these terrifying supernatural things? Or do you want it to just be theater of the mind?
1: uh, I think Michael Barr now prefers theater of the mind. Michael Barr now prefers theater of the mind. I like seeing something different that I've never seen before which was so compelling about that Chris Clark production that we had um, because he forced you when they came out on ladders and they forced them to become horses or when they came out and you had to imagine uh, a burlap bag over the head, reach in and pull out fabric, and the whole audience goes, and and I would look at those student audiences that would go, they saw him ripping out his eyes, but it was just a burlap bag over the head and him pulling out fabric. But they were so convinced. And so when something like that happens, they go, look what we did. Same thing happened when uh, we had that great Henry Warnett's Titus Andronicus. Uh, I
0: mean, there comes a time where that theater, when she comes out. But do you, so, so now the next meta question. Do you yeah. have to have in your mind a more naturalistic image of no. him there with blood, liquid blood dripping down his face? No. Or her with blood coming out of her mouth? Or Banquo's ghost? There, in his supernatural, otherworld-like terrifyingness. Think, I think do you have to have that there. No. I to think see, have the theatricality. No. I
1: think it. good theater practitioners know I'm going to do it naturalistically this time, but I got to watch out that if I do too much, I'm going to be taking the audience's job away. Oh nope, I'm going to strip it completely away, and I'm not going to have anything, and they're going to do this. And if you do too much of one, it's it's a tap dance, you know. If I use too much of this spice. I'm not going to be able to taste any of the other stuff. So it's, it's a tap dance between – because I don't think everything in that uh, production worked, in the Clark production worked. Mm-hmm. The other. It, it never completely does. That's why we keep coming back again and again and again to say, oh, this one works. This one works. So, um, so there are times when I see the dagger, and there are times when I don't see the dagger. And I love understanding and explaining to others and allowing them to see for themselves, did it work for you? Did it
0: not work for you? Why didn't it work for
1: you? Because uh, you know we all
0: need different things. I'm sure there are listeners there who don't love Halloween and fake being scared at going to a spook alley and all the things that yeah. so much so many people do. I'm sort of in so the middle. I'm
1: going to throw it back at you. So, do you? Uh, I think I think the best productions I've seen are where he has to visualize that
0: dagger, and I am with him visualizing it too. Those for me. The most theatrically interesting, I see the dagger, or I see the ghost. But then I'm, then it's a mechanical experience, a technical experience. Yeah. Ooh, what? Do they come? Is he coming out of the table? How How they do the makeup? What? But for me, the cerebral. Fe- if I want actual suspense, if I want Carpenter, fear. Yeah. yeah. Then I want. Yeah. To let, as Shakespeare says, let easy, my imaginary forces but work. But
1: when it goes, it's compelling and Perfect. terrifying.
0: Last question. Yeah. Favorite Halloween movie? What are you going to watch? Over the next four days, do you have a tradition? Do you have a family tradition of one or two movies that you watch? I'll close with a story.
1: Uh, So, last three days ago, we were at a party, and I was in a room with my wife, full of, and they were watching House on Haunted Hill, uh, Vincent Price, which Uh was fine. We were watching it. You know, it's good. It's it's scary. It's a safe scare. Not not real scary. And then they popped Psycho in, (laughs) and they had never seen Psycho before. There, wow. were, there were all these college kids that had never seen Psycho. And we sat down, and I tried to keep my mouth shut as much as I could. You know? And that wonderful scene where he talks to her, it's just him and Norman talking to you – know, the two of them are talking to each other. Uh, before the slashing happens, before any of that type of stuff, they were creeped out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this is strange. You know? It's about you know a boy loves his mother and all that type of stuff. Before they know who anybody is, and I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. And I went, everyone should know this film. It is so well made. And I think Hitchcock understood that too, knowing just enough when to show us. Just enough. I, I, the shots, the angles, the birds, the taxidermy birds all over his, his hobby of taxidermy. Um, so well spoke. So I, there's something wrong with him, and you want to help him, but you can't help him. And uh, get out of there, climb back in that car, all of that type of stuff going on. So I saw my movie. It was that. <laughs> and if not that, I would watch um, Rear Window. Uh, or that. So there's – I like that type of scare. I like that type of scare
0: too. Cool. Cool. Thank you for spending uh, part of your Halloween with us, listeners. We hope you have a wonderful Halloween holiday season. And uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, don't miss our, uh, our own somewhat scary, somewhat fun production of Bram Stoker's Dracula. We're playing through October 31st. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. As the 2015 season comes to an end, be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Look forward to new and exciting episodes every month as we prepare for the opening of our 2016 season and beyond.